Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin, Sherelle McMillan, and Greg Barnes. Greg, freshly back from Chicago to see Carolina struggle against Kentucky, go down to the Wildcats in a game that not sure was actually as close as it looked at times. Carolina certainly had opportunity to get back into it late, and it just wasn't meant to be. Greg, I'll start with you first. I mean, on TV, it did not look like Carolina was able to match uh, Kentucky's intensity, maybe physicality. Uh, what did you see in person? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think part of it is that uh, that was really a pro-Kentucky crowd, surprisingly. You know, North Carolina travels as well, if not better, than, than most any school out there. Uh, but it was probably two-thirds Kentucky fans, it seemed like. I mean, the uh, UNC had more boos when they came out, and it seemed Kentucky had cheers when they came out. Uh, and I think that had a part to uh, – part to do with it in terms of Kentucky being able to rally around that that fan support but I do think yet again what we keep going back to this is, is Roy harped on effort and the players talked about it after the game and it was really just kind of sloppy and I think a couple of things stood out to me we can dive into a little bit more but kind of after going back and listening uh, to the audio from this game and then a couple games recently, it seems Roy is he's he's mad, but he's he's frustrated to the extent that this team is doing some really like high school level things, doing it over and over again. I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, I, I think it was the first pass of the game. It's just a you know a one one uh, slide pass, and Kentucky sticks her hands in the passing lane, gets it, and goes down for a score. And you had a multiple opportunities like that where, where Kentucky was able to take advantage of those poor, sloppy passes that, that were not uh, you know, confident passes, it seemed like. And then you had the situations where, I mean, Roy has talked over the years time and time again about, hey, we do not help up into the lane, right? You'd rather give a guy a 15-footer that's open than a dunk that's wide open. And yet we saw on three or four occasions – UNC helping up the lane. What happens? You know, Ray Travis is able to take advantage, or I think Washington had one as well, uh, under underneath. So uh, some some things that you do not expect from a North Carolina team, and I don't care about the youth. I mean, we, we know they've got three veteran guys and a lot of younger guys surrounding them. Uh, but those are things that Carolina teams don't do, and that's before you get into talking about all the other issues this team has. Ross, uh, you certainly watched it on television like I did. Your overall thoughts on what you saw, and I mean, it, it sort of, to me, was a microcosm of the seasons thus far, but Kentucky was able to do what Kentucky wanted to do, which, like Greg said, is that's very un-North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, Greg wrote a column about it, and, and I tweeted about it, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit, Tommy, on Twitter, but um, just the lack of a post present kind of reared its head on Saturday night. I thought um, Kentucky was more athletic, had had longer, better players down low, and PJ Washington and Reed Travis. And the fact that UNC doesn't have a go-to score down low, um, they needed those baskets. They needed some easy shots. They needed some some easy twos to get back in the game. 
in the second half. They couldn't find those. They got out-rebounded, which you rarely see from a UNC team. And then Kentucky played above the rim many times throughout the game with some alley-oops, some putbacks. And UNC really didn't have a, um, a rim protector or any kind of answer for that defensively. And that's kind of been – I thought that was kind of a weakness of this team. And when you shoot like you did against Gonzaga, you can kind of hide that weakness. But we don't play as well. You still turn the ball over. Um, those the, the lack of a big man kind of becomes a bigger issue when you, you can't out-rebound the other team and you have trouble scoring. So that was my biggest takeaway. I think it's going to be an issue with this team moving forward. Uh, obviously, the foul trouble to Garrison Brooks in the first half forced Roy Williams to play Sterling Manley and Brandon Huffman some. And I think another thing that UNC fans will definitely harp on is just the use of so many reserves in the first half and at key moments in the first half and in the second half. Play take playing a lot. Uh, Brent Robinson at times. Um, and just guys that in this caliber of a game uh, maybe shouldn't have been playing um, at that point. I don't know. I guess we're always maybe trying to prove a point and get some guys some experience like he does in lesser talented games. But I think that was kind of a, an issue there. But, of course, that's it's really his coaching style and something I don't think it's a huge deal. But the big man thing, I think, is a big issue. We saw it last year against Texas A&M, and we saw it again now. It gets really good teams with good big men. UNC is going to struggle um, unless they shoot the lights out like they did against Gonzaga. I bring in Sherelle McMillan. Sherelle gets the award for the New Dad Award up <laughs> late last night putting together um, a high society kitchen for the young <laughs> one. Um, and Sherelle get used to it. The gifts get uh, smaller as they get older, but they do get more expensive. Um, you and I have debated the issues with North Carolina before, and we don't necessarily agree, but I, I'll defer to you because you're much smarter about it than I am. Uh, like I said, Carolina got manhandled against Kentucky, which I didn't think would happen. Um, but your take on how and the why a big part of what Ross mentioned, certainly a reason. Yeah. You know, to me, um, it goes back. I, I don't want to heart, but I still think they weren't very good defensively. And some of it is systemic. And I think, you know, Greg made a, a great point about it. His column, Ross talked about it. It's just that right now the big guys haven't gotten appreciably better from where they were last year, which would enable North Carolina to play his, you know, preferred style, preferred system. And, it seems to me that there really isn't that much of a change. Last year it was, if North Carolina gets hot from three, then they'll beat pretty much anybody. And if they don't, they won't. And, you know, through uh, 10 games now, 11 games, that's pretty much where they are again. I think that'll change because I do think that they have uh, more talented players uh, overall than they did last year. It's just taking some time because the uh, talented players who are going to come in and supplement what the seniors do, uh, are all freshmen, and it just takes time in North Carolina system for freshmen to really, really um, kind of understand when to go, when to attack, when to fall back. Uh, and that, like I said, that takes time, and that's going to continue to take time, you know, into the middle of January, into February. And I think, you know, they'll improve, but there are limitations on this team, and I think we've seen them uh, against a, an opponent like Kentucky. Um, who has size. Reed Travis did it to him last year. Same same player, just when he was at Stanford. So um, it wasn't super surprising that they gave up um, so many points in the paint. I think what, what was surprising to everybody was just the carelessness and really lack of um, urgency when handling the ball. Now, 
uh, that's something that can and will change, I think. But, uh, you know, you just can't turn the ball over 20 times against good teams and win, like Ross said, unless you're shooting an absurd uh, percentage from three or your offensive efficiency is really off the charts. And that's too much pressure to put on your offense to do every game. Greg, um, let's sort of group it together a little bit to have this organized. And we're recording this on Christmas Eve morning. That's the shout out to Sherelle for the hard work he did last night in preparation for Santa Claus coming to town. Uh, I thought the freshmen looked as shaky as they've looked all year. And that, for me, was surprising, Greg. Uh, did it? Did it appear that way in person in Chicago? Yeah, certainly. And I think it's still a uh, a steep curve for these guys, and that's I think that's to be expected. Um, a little bit surprised Leaky Black didn't play more than he did. He only logged, I think, ten minutes. Um, I think I think he's a guy that can be you know, a good addition for this team. Um, he has not gotten the minutes I kind of thought he might. But yeah, I mean, Kobe White. Um, he's a guy that you have to have him on the court because he pushes tempo and he's a natural scorer. Now, granted, his shot didn't really fall against Kentucky, but he made some plays. You're like, wow, that's incredible. Um, but at this point in time, not a good defender. And then, you know, Nas Little, I, I know we can get into him a little bit more because Roy talked about him after the game and, and Ross put together something about that. Um, but he just continues to kind of try to, fill his way around. Um, and I think the lack of a role and, and kind of some of the struggles that, that wings have in their freshman year under Roy kind of continue to, to show up. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Sherelle's right that you last year, you, you were able to, to fill some pieces with some veteran guys. And this year, the guys you're having to rely on are the freshmen. And that's problematic. And you, Kenny Williams, I thought he played pretty well uh, on Saturday, but we all know that he's been been struggling shooting the ball this year. And so when you know Cam Johnson, especially in the first half, doesn't do a whole lot, and Luke's getting his points from the perimeter, um, where are your points coming from? And I think that's that's part of the thing for me is we can talk about all these all these other pieces, you know, defense and how the freshmen look and. You know, how does look Luke looking against you know, uh, true big guys and you know, not having a rim protector and, and the defense and all these kind of things. But I think when you start shining a light on such uh, such details, it kind of gets away from, from what Ross talked about earlier. Time and time again throughout not only Roy's tenure, but when Dean was, Dean was coaching, you know, when things went awry, what could you do? You pound the ball down low, and you get an easy bu- bucket here or there. You had somebody to go to. Say, look, we need two points. Hands broke. Here's here's the ball. Give us two points. Let's stem this tide some. And then you could play good enough defense in the post that that it helps you on the other end. And so I, I, I truly believe the, the post presence issue uh, was glaring. We knew that in the offseason. That's not a surprise to anybody. Um, but if that doesn't correct itself, I think the ceiling for this team is much lower than maybe we thought. Unless, like Ross said, you shoot lights out, and that's why I made a big deal about that Gonzaga game, because for them to win a lot of good games against elite teams, they have to shoot the ball very well. 
Otherwise, what you saw on Saturday is probably what's going to happen. Yeah, I wonder if that Gonzaga game is going to become fool's gold and how well they shot because it's going to be hard to to duplicate that with the offensive limitations. I think we need to spend a little more time talking about this here. Little, it's a hot topic. Um, I would love to get Sherelle's opinion and, and Greg's opinion a little bit more. Just what's going on there and what can kind of what, what can happen for him to get more involved and just feel more comfortable and have more success. I think it's just a hot topic with what the criticism from that Bleacher Report article that Roy mentioned in the post game. Like I, like Greg said, I put something together on that about Roy defending, you know, his what he's doing with freshmen and just I mean, what's going on with Nasir and is it him? Is it the offense? Is it how he's being used? I would love to get Sherelle's opinion and for Greg to kind of follow because I think it's something we have to talk about. Well, I think what's going on with Nasir isn't much different than what's going on with any freshman uh, who typically plays at North Carolina who has a player uh, who is good in front of him. And that is that uh, Roe Williams, you know, he'll play the freshman, but he prefers if he has uh, an option to play someone with a little more experience. You know, we've all heard it a thousand times. He loves experienced talent. And right now, Nasir is talent. He's not experienced talent uh, in North Carolina system. So I think for his standpoint, uh, that's what Williams is thinking is, hey, this is such a great problem to have. I've got Cam Johnson who uh, shooting lights out from three, is scoring, is doing everything. And then I have another guy who's super athletic, who can come off the bench and give me what I need, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes. So to him, you know, that's all that matters is that he's got a rotation set up at the three between those two guys um, that really should be able to help North Carolina, you know, play well. Um, now, you know, that's maybe uh, a line of thinking um, that doesn't uh, take into account the entire situation. And what I mean by that is that, you know, in the postgame press conference, he said he didn't care what other people think. And he said, if you think you do, then, you know, that's your problem. Um, and, I think when you say that you don't care, that's usually when you do care and that you've probably read some things and it probably annoyed you and it bothered you. Uh, I think the best thing for North Carolina and for Nasir and for Roy Williams is just to continue to go to work, continue to practice and try to figure out the best way to use them. Now, um, I think maybe uh, both parties would have liked to have a better plan entering the season about exactly what Little's role was. Um, I think maybe that's not still... 100% clear is he you know a three who attacks from the top of the key and shoots threes or is he a combo forward who can post and kind of do some things around the basket I think right now for this particular team the latter is where he probably you know would help the most I think for his long-term goals the former is what he wants to be so um, there just have to be some conversations and there has to be some understanding between the two parties of it, how exactly for you know whatever the next 25 30 games how nasir little can help this north carolina team um improve and and you know hopefully reach its goals one thing i'd like to add i don't know if roy kind of helped things by bringing that article up and kind of going on a, a mini rant on that i think it just draws more attention to that issue and just it makes it more public and and you know, it, it's, everybody's going to go read that article now because Roy brought it up and, and he just he brings more attention to this notion of of how he uses freshmen and if he limits freshmen. I, I think that was kind of a uh, a move by Roy that I wouldn't have recommended. Um, Greg, your thoughts on, on this year? Well, we, we all know, to, to both your points, we all know that, that Roy gets his feathers ruffled yeah. uh, with some things like that. And so he, 
he clearly needed to get his opinion on that article off his chest. <laughs> and he just happened to do it after the Kentucky Kentucky game, which is fine. You know, it, that that's who he is, and that's that's why everybody loves him, and that's why some people hate him. Um, but I, I think Sherelle's spot on. I think dating back to the preseason, when when Ross and I spoke with Roy and Charlotte faces the uh, Operation Basketball deal, we we knew that they were going to start playing some small ball because Roy was open that hey, you know, the, the bigs are not developing as fast as I had hoped, therefore we are going to play small. But he also said that Cam Johnson was the guy getting the majority of the minutes at the four. And the reason that happens, and we've seen it over the years, and same reason that he plays freshmen solely at point, and he doesn't move them off to two uh, most of the time, is because he wants those guys, the young guys, to learn their positions. So he wanted Nas Little to learn the three. So early in the year when they're playing small, it was Cam Johnson logging all those minutes at the four. And so while you had a month or a month and a half in the preseason to work on small ball, it was Cam playing in the post. And so I, I do, I think that's part of the issues because as we're you know, 11 games into this year, the opportunity to field a quality, traditional, too big lineup uh, is kind of going by the wayside. You have to be able to play that lineup for stretches of time or else you, you're going to get run out of the building against a, a big team like AM was last year. So Roy's got to protect against that, and he's got to make sure he at least has a fighting chance in those games. But it's pretty clear the most talent on the floor is when you go small. But now we're in a situation where you probably won't Nas at the four anyway because he is a bigger, stronger version of what you're looking for. Um, you, I, I like the fact that Roy put him on Ray Travis for some stretches in that game Saturday. Now, it didn't work out well, but Ray Travis is a really good player. I mean, he's, he's a first-team uh, Pac-12 guy. He's, for, I think, first-team preseason SEC. So he's going to win that matchup regardless. And that's, that's not something you can put on Nas for, for losing that matchup. And he's a but, grown but I like man. The, oh, yeah, he's a hoss, no, no doubt about it. So you can't really criticize Nas for that, but I think the opportunity for him uh, to learn in that way is a good thing. And that's what you got to continue to do. But to Shrell's point, with with Nas not having a ton of practice at the four in the preseason, or as, as it sounds anyway, um, he, he's kind of behind the, the chain some. And he's he's got to catch up. Because I do think he he doesn't do you a lot of good if he's just jacking up threes or or pull up you know, 16-footers. That's not where Nas is going to help you. Teams are going to give you that. But when he gets into the paint and he can be explosive and use his athleticism, that's where he's dangerous. And so whether it's whether it's helping him with a few post moves uh, so he can actually post somebody up, I think that would be a great asset for him. Or if you just get him driving more. But there, there are some things like that that have to transpire uh, because, you know, as we've talked about, it just seems like at times he gets out there and he's not exactly sure what he needs to be doing and that looks bad for him, but it also looks bad for the coaching staff. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue this discussion because it's definitely an important one. It, it definitely has Inside Carolina message boards uh, lit up discussing it, especially after Ross mentioned uh, Roy Williams' comments. We'll come back and we'll keep at it. Sherelle, I want to bring you in again on it and – you know, watching the Kentucky game, I had somebody in my ear fussing that 
Roy doesn't play the freshman. And I'm like, do you see the kid running point? And folks tend to forget that. But when you're talking about Nas Little, I watch him against Kentucky, and I'm thinking, how many more minutes does he deserve when he's as lost as he appears? But then again, how can he get found if he doesn't get minutes to figure it out? Sherelle, that's the $64,000 question at least I have, and that's why the coaches make the big bucks. Yeah, that's right. Roy Williams has a new eight-year uh, contract extension that he signed uh, last week. You know, I think, and I don't, again, I don't mean to harp, but I think what people have to realize is that with Nasir, what's going on with him is not new at North Carolina. And that's not meant to be negative. It is just the reality in that freshmen at North Carolina typically have a steep learning curve and freshmen at North Carolina have to figure out exactly what to do when they have to figure out how to attack. They have to figure out all these things and it takes time. And, you know, I don't want to name names or anything, but I think Carolina fans will be shocked to learn about how many of their favorite freshmen who ended up going on to have great careers were either, um, you know, not exactly happy with their role. Um, not really sure about what they were supposed to be doing. Um, their first, you know, 10, 15, 20 games in North Carolina. It is just something that happens. It's uh, the thing we always hear is paralysis by analysis. That's what I, I promise you. If you go back and we we talk to so many parents and players, that's what they say. They say, you know, we're just processing so much information. We're not exactly sure what to do. You know, we're not being instinctual, you know, all those kind of things. We've heard that for years and years and years. So Nasir is currently going through that. It's magnified because he is, you know, a, a top five, a projected top five pick. Um, some people had him as high as number two or number one. So it's magnified because of that. And because, you know, North Carolina has had an issue, um, I guess you could say, with landing you know, top five, quote unquote, elite talent. So throw all that in a bowl together and then uh, remove UNC's ability to play, um, you know, I would say really well is desired style. And then you start to get these issues. Add on the fact that there are three guys down the road who or two guys down the road who play a lot and shoot a lot and score a lot and putting up huge numbers. And all this just becomes like the perfect storm of stuff. Right? I'll add something here. Um I, to Greg's point, I, I love the idea of, of Nasir playing four uh, at the power forward spot. I think that's a, a great position for him with Cam at the three because Cam's you know, having a pretty good season. And he feels like more of a uh, wing enough. He kind of has that Theo Pinson body, but he's taller. He can maneuver down there and he can bang with the big boys um, down low. I think that's a great chance for him. I know that's not his NBA position, but <clears> a chance for him to have the most impact this season. And a little bit to what Sherelle said, um, I think the, the clamor and the – excitement on Twitter for Nasir and, and all the issues that people are having is the fact that most fans think, you know, kind of only going to have him for one year and they kind of want that instant gratification. They see what's going on at Duke. They want him to have success now, even though it does take a while for some UNC freshmen to, um, to kind of develop. You remember John Henson, he was a guy who struggled as a freshman, um, even Harrison Barnes a little bit, but they went on to really good UNC careers in year two and year three. I think the notion here is that, a lot of people know they're only going to have Nasir for, what, 20 more games, 25 more games, and that they, they want to ha see him have success now. And that kind of just – that urgency is is what is bringing this kind of stress. You want him to have success from a fan's perspective now and have him scoring in, in double figures regularly and dominating um, like some of the, the, the big freshmen are uh, around the country. 
Sherelle, I'm going to come back to you to sort of wrap this topic up. You mentioned that a lot of guys struggled their freshman year, and um, there's plenty recently, but I remember one, and certainly he wasn't on the level uh, that these guys we talk about are, but Donna Williams was not good his freshman year. And we see what he did. Now, he did that as a junior, sophomore, junior. Uh, and to Ross's point, I think the fans are more concerned about it than anybody. Now there's some concern elsewhere, but the fans wanting to see what little can do in his possibly short stint at North Carolina, but how much of it is driven by what other freshmen are doing around the country, as far as the angst that maybe the fan base and the mess that Williams has to coach Williams has to deal with um, when he's, you know, talking about it in post-game press conferences. I mean, how much is it from that situation? Oh, the, the, Well, the angst from Roy Williams, we know, has nothing to do with that at all. I right. mean, that, that's completely uh, about the team. And, you know, now if, you, if people want to say, you know, you can't build three- or four-year chemistry in 25 games, like Ross said, that's a valid point. Because I think, you know, Roy Williams is taking the approach that he took uh, with – you know, many other talented freshmen. And a lot of those guys, Sands, really Marvin Williams, stayed for at least a couple of years. Now, the expectation, I think, with Nasir is that he's not going to stay um, for more than one year. He, he certainly could, and I think, you know, Roy Williams would be happy to have him back. But I, I don't think you can expect that. So you're kind of like building a world of chemistry for year two and three, but you only have 30 games. And so the pieces aren't aligned there. In general, you know, I don't want to do a deep dive into the psyche of North Carolina fans, but, you know, absolutely the angst is caused to some degree by how successful the guys down the road have been with using uh, one and done players and inserting them into the lineup, uh, you know, immediately. Um, for, for them, it's kind of, you know, they couldn't get a top 10 guy. They couldn't get a top 10 guy. They couldn't get a top 10 guy. 10 guy. They finally get a top 10 guy. You know, he's ready to go. He has, you know, shines bright on the high school all-star circuit. He's, you know, He's uh, compelling. He's interesting. He's skilled. He's athletic. You know, he's got all these things. And then he gets to campus and, you know, uh, Williams is bringing him off the bench and they feel like he um, isn't playing as well as he could or feel like he's not getting an opportunity. So, yeah, definitely all that adds into the kind of, um, I don't want to say firestorm because it's it's still very, very early in the season. But all that adds to the angst that I think the Carolina fan base has. Let me take another quick break, and we'll come back. Let's talk about uh, some different players other than Nas Little. We'll be right back. Greg, let's talk about uh, the upperclassmen, because I, I think they're they're fair game as well. Um, we've seen some highs and lows. Kenny Williams has struggled basically all year, at least scoring the basketball. Um, but your thoughts on the performance of those guys? Now, Cam Johnson's been fantastic at times, but – for me, watching Kentucky is a game that you got to have your seniors just blow up and do really well, um, even though it's gotten to be a freshman, sophomore game. That is where North Carolina, I think, has had success in big games is they've had those seniors and upperclassmen really stand out. And it it hasn't happened as much as maybe folks would like this season. Yeah, I, I guess I'm um... – I don't know if I'm old school, if I'm just old, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I like the, I like the game of the, the seniors. I mean, I, I think Cam Johnson's North Carolina's best player this year. He has been thus far. Um, I think Luke may played a good game against uh, Kentucky, played a really good game against Gonzaga. I think the issue with, uh, with 
Kentucky, though, is that that Luke is a stretch four. And when he plays a stretch four role, he's obviously an All-American. But against some guys that have a lot of length, he's got to score in in unique ways. And that's what we saw on Saturdays. He's able to knock down some threes. Um, And he's not as effective off the glass as we've seen him. Uh, but but Travis is a hoss, and PJ Washington, and some of those guys are, are long and, and lean, and that that that's a challenge to to ask Luke May at his size and with his skill set to go in the post and, and dominate those matchups. It's not going to happen. That's that's not fair to him to ask him to do that. Um, but I think he thrived in kind of his role. I thought he was I thought he was good, and he gave the team a boost. He he kept the team in the game at times when Kentucky was trying to pull away, and he made some big baskets. Um, and then Kenny Williams, uh, yes, his shot's not been going in. Uh, but I mean, he had six rebounds, he had five assists, had a couple steals. Uh, he had a charge, drew a charge early. So while his shot has not been falling, he's figured out how to contribute without scoring. And that is, that's a lot easier said than done because a lot of guys over the years, and Kenny even early in his career, if the shot's not falling, they just kind of get lost and they vanish. And they don't contribute anywhere. And you're like, okay, well, what's this guy doing? That's not been the case for Kenny. And on top of the numbers, you know, Roy's talked about how he's really uh, kind of been the uh, the energizer bunny, if you will, in terms of you know, providing enthusiasm and getting the guys up. And I think you saw that on Saturday, especially early. He really kind of rallied the troops when some of the guys kind of had had big eyes with the uh, the atmosphere. And so. I, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that the seniors need to do a little bit more. Um, but I, I think for the most part, they've played pretty well. I just think when you're so sloppy, take care of the ball, which has been an issue. Uh, the defense is, is as bad as it's been. I mean, I thought it was fascinating after the game. And this is not nothing, this is not something none of us knew. Everybody knows this. But Cal Perry said, North Carolina, the way that they play defense, forces you to take a lot of threes. And we've had that discussion ad nauseum over the years, right? Because Roy Williams is going to, he's going to help. He's going to do everything that he can to stop the easy buckets down low. And what does that do? That leaves open the outside shots. Um, And so if a team is talented enough to make a lot of threes, and Kentucky didn't shoot a high percentage, and they only shot 35% from three. But when everything else is going kind of going their way, for them to be able to step up and knock down some threes, um, and, and the, the hero kid and our hero kid, how you pronounce his name, and Kelton Johnson, uh, those guys can knock down some big threes that can kind of limit UNC's ability to get back in the game. Uh, that that this is kind of a, a game changer, and so a lot of different things to me are a much bigger factor than how the the upperclassmen have played. Yeah, I mean, I think Greg hit, hit on some good points with with the seniors. I think Johnson and May are having good to. to I mean, I think Cam Johnson's having a, a great season, mostly. And I think I think Luke May set the bar so high last year that what he's doing now is really good. It's just not those thirty point games he had at, at some points, and a lot of that came in the second half of last season, or or kind of more in ACC play. So you're still waiting for that really big breakout game, but he was great against Gonzaga. I think one thing to kind of – it's important to know, I mean, UNC lost by eight points against Kentucky, but they were in the game for the majority of the time. I think it was, you know, somewhere between four and six points for the majority of the, the second half of the second half. So it's not like they were ran out of the gym by Kentucky and they turned the ball over 17 times. 
So while I think a lot of people are jumping off the UNC bandwagon right now and, and you know, seeing this team is not going to make it a deep run and they have a lot of issues, it was still a really competitive game. It wasn't like the mission game. It didn't have that feel. UNC was a three-pointer away from cutting it to, to maybe one possession, I think, at times, or at least cutting it to, to four or five points. And so I think Kentucky's a pretty good team with a lot of talent. They probably played one of their – I mean, they didn't play their best game, but, you know, that effort w- was there. They have a lot of good players and a lot of guys had great games. So I think Kentucky's a, a Sweet 16-type team. And and even though – and obviously UNC didn't play their best game and didn't have a great performance from Kobe White, this year Little, Kenny Williams, and some other players. They were still kind of in it the whole game. So, um, you know, just another one of those weird games like the Michigan game where – a lot of things didn't go UNC's way, but still um, some things did, you know, the peer, the interior scoring, the interior defense, turnover issues that are becoming more of a trend now than a one-off. Um, and so while, yeah, while it wasn't a super beat-down loss, there are some still some issues with this team that I think they have to address moving forward. And I think, uh, you know, if you had talked to people before the season and looked through this stretch – I think North Carolina is just one game behind the schedule, to be honest, because I, I think uh, realistically people would have said, yeah, at Michigan, that's that's going to be a tough one. And one of Gonzaga or Kentucky is going to be tough to get. So really, it's just that the Texas game that is, I think, coloring a lot of uh, North Carolina season thus far. You never want to have three losses uh, <clears throat> this early. But I am a firm believer that. um you know, those things can help you later on, not necessarily losing, but just the lessons learned in the loss. Um, I think Kobe will just, you know, for example, will be uh, more careful with the ball. I, I think moving forward, I, I think um, this is one of those games where he got a little excited and, you know, the tempo was up and it was a good crowd, like, uh, like Greg said, and, you know, things can start to snowball. But I think when that happens again, when he plays at NC State or plays, at Duke or plays at, you know, any of these tough environments in the ACC, he can have some kind of muscle memory and say, remember that Kentucky game where I, uh, you know, North Carolina was down six and, you know, they had a chance to go down and cut the one position game and Ashton Higgins ripped the ball from me. They hit a three, then they had to dunk and the game was over. I can't do that again. And this is what I need to do in order to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I think those kind of lessons are invaluable. Um, but, you know, overall, um, I'm still not down on this North Carolina team. I think the ceiling um, does look a, a little different than I imagined, just because the the parts aren't um, moving really efficiently together yet. But I still think they can do um, a lot of good things, and they've shown that when they're making shots, you know, they can beat anyone in the country. So um, it's just a little variance from where North Carolina typically is, in that you know they have to work a little differently to score, um, but they're still. Um, when they're scoring at their best, they're, they're as good as anybody. So um, I would just urge everyone to remember that it's still December and <laughs> ACC play hasn't started yet. And um, there's anything we've learned from Royal Williams teams uh, as far as giving the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> they do typically tend to get better in January and February. They'll, you know, they'll have an inexplicable loss at some point again this season. And they'll have a, a win that looks so ugly and so bad. And you're like, what are they doing? And after that win, they'll go and win six or seven straight and you'll start looking at things and like, oh, they're in place to get a three seed or a four seed. So until that doesn't happen, I think you have to give his team and his coaching staff and his players a benefit of the doubt and assume that's what will happen. Real quick, Greg, uh, what was the atmosphere like in the locker room or however you spoke with the players? I remember after the Texas loss, there were 
you know, Kobe White was was devastated. But what was the vibe like with the players in the locker room? Yeah, I think there's frustration. Um, I, I think the effort thing um, is problematic, and I think it is really, really kind of irritated Luke May. Um, and I, I think, I think Kobe, you bring up a good point there. I think Kobe uh, has been around long enough now, even though it's only been what six weeks uh, since the, the season actually started that he was a little more even killed. Um, and he was, he was trying to provide answers to what had happened and where they need to improve, which I think you know, that's normally what happens. That's good to see that he's kind of moving into that role, which shows some experience. Um, but, you know, I mean, that they, I think they knew that uh, they got beat up pretty good, even though the score uh, was only eight points. They kind of got whooped up on me. And I wanted to, to add one thing to what Sherelle said, because I think he's exactly right. Um, when I'm watching that game Saturday, really through the first, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes before Kentucky really kind of salted it away, uh, I'm watching the Wildcats and I'm thinking, this is a collection of talent. They do not play like a team. A lot of very good talent, and they're kind of thriving in this moment. But when you compare that game they played Saturday to what North Carolina did against Gonzaga, I mean, the Gonzaga win was a team game for the Tar Heels. And they look like a well-polished team. And that's what Roy Williams gets his teams to do by the end of the year. They look like they are supposed to look and the pieces fit together. Um, I've never really gotten that opinion watching a lot of Cal's teams with all these freshmen, all these young guys playing. Um, you just kind of rely on the talent to beat out any need for team chemistry, which is one of the reasons I like Tony Bennett. It's because his teams play like a team. There's not one guy that dominates. Um, and that's how Roy's wired. And so I think that's just kind of, uh, you know, as the season plays out, they always get better. This team will get better. How that team looks come March is another matter. But they, they clearly have a, a lot of growing to do. All right, guys, Greg kind of did what I wanted to do, but I, I'll start with you, Ross. Give me one or two thoughts heading into – I know they've got a game before the end of the end of the year, but heading into the, the post-Christmas as Carolina gets into ACC play after the new year, one or two things maybe that uh, might be on a wish list for Coach Rory Williams and his Tar Heels. <laughs> uh Garrison Brooks or Sterling Manley to step up and and be a dominant force inside, not necessarily offensively, but just as a very consistent rebounder and defender down low where he can trust them to play and maybe give eight to ten points a game. One of those guys to do that, eight to ten points, eight to ten rebounds. Sherelle? Uh Commitment to defense <laughs> is what North Carolina, uh, what Williams wants, and that ties into effort a little bit. Um, you know, it, they scored 72 points against, against Kentucky and they didn't play well offensively. They're going to be able to score. If they defend, then they can do a lot of things this season. Indeed. I think defense, especially interior defense, the point was made, and I can't remember. I think you made it, Ross, earlier in the show, that whenever Carolina back in the day needed a basket, they could throw it inside and get it. And I don't know if that's going to happen this year. But one thing Carolina's got to be able to do is prevent other teams from being able to do that. And I thought Reed Travis pretty much got whatever he wanted uh, against North Carolina, and it's happened before. It'll be interesting for me to watch whether the Gonzaga game was a one-off or the Gonzaga game is the potential for this North Carolina team. 
Uh, and Tommy, I'll, I'll, let me add one more since we're we're going to throw everything into the pot here. <laughs> North Carolina's North Carolina's opponents are averaging seventeen point three points off turnovers per game. That is not going to get it done, especially considering the level of competition UNC has played in some of these games. That helps us. I mean, Gonzaga's taking advantage of them in that regard. Kentucky has, Michigan did. Um, so when you're when you're giving up twenty plus points to the, the best teams in the country off turnovers, that is too easy. And so, yes. Defense, yes, post presence, but you got to do a better job taking care of the ball. So that's that's three really big things that have to uh, that have to turn for the Tar Heels going into the new year. Man, UNC could have used a transfer like Reed Travis this year. Oh that yeah, been, okay. that would have made this team kind of more complete. I think Armando Bacot, Bacot, he's going to have a chance to start next year. Yep, if they protect the basketball, play a little, play a little defense, I think Carolina can be really good. Um, folks just need to have patience, but as we know, patience is in short supply these days. Guys, Ross, Greg, Sherelle, I appreciate you taking time to do this on Christmas Eve. I hope you guys have a nice holiday and a safe one. We'll talk soon. See you, Tommy. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.